Well, as we begin the Advent season together, a time of worship, reflection, and anticipation for Christmas, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as I read uh, the first part of today's passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today, as well as Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, but the first part will just be Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 26 through 38. This is what we read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Heavenly Father, as we begin to celebrate Advent and the birth of your Son, our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, my prayer is that we would be attentive to the things that truly matter this season. I pray for opportunities for us to learn something new about who you are and to be reminded about your promises that we can build our lives on. I pray for an openness to the Holy Spirit's leading as we seek to live faithfully for you. You tell us that when your word is preached, it will not return void. And so today I pray that you would grow and strengthen your church through the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to begin with a statement. I'm going to repeat this statement because I think it's important. That our lives are formed by what we worship. I want you to think about that for a moment. Our lives are formed by what we worship. You know, the excitement, the anticipation and hope uh, that we experience this time of year, each of these emotions develop around the object of our deepest affection. In other words, we spend our time and our energy on what truly matters most to us. That's how all of our schedules are put together. And so what do we worship during the Advent season? Well, the right answer, the correct answer is Jesus. But is this the true answer for you? Does the way you spend your time, your talents, and your treasure demonstrate that Jesus truly is the desire of your heart? You know, many believers have learned to say the right things without allowing the truth of their words to reach the heart. Simply saying that Jesus is the desire of our hearts doesn't mean that he is. Simply singing songs about that doesn't mean that we mean that. Giving ourselves 
what I call regular spiritual checkups, uh, can be a very scary thing, but it's necessary. You know, looking honestly at the desires of your heart is much harder than saying the words and doing the things that family and friends expect you to say and do this time of year. Now, kids don't really suffer from the fear of self-evaluation like adults do. Let me just give you an illustration. If we were to pull any one of the kids out of their class this morning and ask them, you know, what are you most excited about this Christmas? Nine times out of ten, instead of saying Jesus' birthday, they would say opening presents on Christmas morning. I can't wait for that bike. I can't wait for that video game. I can't wait to get this thing that I really want. And so I'll say it again, you know, the things we desire are the things that we worship. During Advent, a season that's been hijacked by materialism and consumption, it's important that we do a much-needed spiritual checkup to discover what's really in our hearts. With almost $10 billion, with a B, being spent this last Black Friday on stuff just by Americans, Americans alone, stuff that will likely end up in the trash at some point or another, you know, we need to ask ourselves some difficult questions. I don't know if that, that word is as big to you as it is to me, but $10 billion in our society, that sounds wild. Do the things that we want, the gifts that we give and, and buy, the schedules that we fill bring the kind of lasting joy that we read about in God's word, or are we always left wanting more and not in the right way? I have the opportunity and the privilege to talk with a lot of people in my role, and more times than not, it's talking about issues of faith. And, and I love to be able to do that, but I can tell you that through all of these conversations, we all long for peace in place of the annual holiday family soap opera. We shop till we drop, hoping to find fulfillment. We go into debt because we assume that we're entitled to whatever we want. And it's an attitude of entitlement that we can clearly see in the younger generation. And so we have to pause and ask ourselves, where did they first learn this attitude? Every year throughout the month of December, I preach sermons about the incarnation, the hope, the joy, the peace that we have in Jesus. And people have asked me, why do you do so many messages at Christmas about Christmas? And why do you do so many messages at Easter about the resurrection? And really the simple answer is because biblical literacy is not great in the American church. It's not great. Um, and so I, I want us to be solid on the things that we believe, why we believe what we believe, and knowing what the Bible says about these things. And in turn, being able to respond and live our lives in accordance with God's word. And so I talk to a lot of people about issues that surround faith and and every time it always comes back to this, this place of just longing for more and wanting more because more times than not we give our things to things that are just temporal and not eternal. And as I look out among the faces, as I look out among the faces of the families that, that our family has grown to love, I often see families who are just drained and exhausted because we've wandered so far from the nativity that we no longer see the one whom this season is really supposed to be about. What we're truly searching for, that hope, that joy, that peace, it gets buried in the seasonal chaos. Author Rick McKinley rightly said, 
that each step we take toward an overstuffed schedule and an overextended budget is one step further away from the nativity. And so this time of year, when focusing on Jesus should be easiest, it's often the hardest. And that's what this series is going to be all about. The very first Christmas was meaningful. It was meaningful. The responses to the incarnation that we read about in the Gospels were ones of worship, ones of giving, ones of peace and and joy. But something's happened between the first Advent and today. And so this year's series, uh, Making Christmas Meaningful Again, will be an invitation. It'll be an invitation for us to keep our focus on Jesus, no matter how strongly the cultural demands of Christmas pull at us. And you're going to be hopefully encouraged by some things, but you're also going to be challenged with some things to think differently, to respond differently as we follow Jesus. And remembering that Jesus is our one true source of hope and joy and peace, just like he was for people 2,000 years ago. Friends, that changes everything. And so each year, Advent brings another opportunity for us to gather, another opportunity for us to worship and focus on the miracle of the incarnation when the word became flesh and dwelt among us in a meaningful way. And nearly every character that we read about who encountered the infant king in the nativity story, they more or less had the same response. You can bring it back to a response of worship. It was a response of worship. That's what I want to explore in this first message. And Mary, Elizabeth, Joseph, Zechariah, the, the wise men, the shepherds, they all responded to the birth of Jesus through worship. Their worship sprang from the sincerity of their heart because Jesus was the desire of the heart. Is Jesus truly the desire of your heart? There's a lot that we can learn from their example. And so we're going to take a journey together through the nativity story this morning. And I'm excited to do that. The first point that we're going to talk about, if you're taking notes, is that the Advent reminds us to sing to our Savior. The Advent reminds us to sing. And we see this, I think, clearly in Mary's story. Mary was a teenage girl engaged to marry a poor carpenter named Joseph. One author put it this way, and I love this because I just got back from Oklahoma and visiting my wife's family who live uh, really far out in the country when the gravel road ends and the dirt road begins. You just keep driving. (laughs) And so this is what one author said about Mary and I think my wife said she can relate to this a little bit. So it says, Mary lived on a dusty fringe of the mighty Roman Empire, just another powerless peasant in another backwater town. Yet she was the woman to whom God extended the invitation to be the mother of the Messiah, Jesus. God, more times than not, chooses to use the people that we look over. God chose her and invited her to be part of his story. That's what we read about in the opening passage to the message today. In Luke's account, Gabriel, God's archangel, announced to Mary that she had found favor with God, that she would give birth to a baby boy whom she was to name Jesus. And do you remember her response to this? We read about it in verse 38. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. 
And so as difficult, as frightening, as confusing, as scary as this news would have been, Mary didn't complain. She didn't come up with excuses as to why she didn't think she was a good fit for this incredible responsibility. I think that's something I would have done for sure. Again, think about where she came from, what her life was like. Instead, she voiced that her identity was based solely on who God said she was and that she would faithfully follow and obey his plan. And then Mary does something pretty awesome. She joined the hundreds of Jewish poets that went before her by composing a a song that she sang to the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, records the lyrics uh, to this song for us. And I've preached on this before. We've done the songs of Christmas. Uh, There are many songs uh, in the New Testament, people responding and singing out to God. They were the first Christmas songs ever written. So I'm not going to read the entire thing this morning, but here's just a few verses, a few of the lyrics that I want to share and you can think about today. And as I do, remember that This is a reminder and an invitation for us to sing out this season in response to who God is and what he's done. And so Luke chapter 1, 46 through 50, it's just a portion of Mary's song. This is what she says. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. And so Mary's song is known as the Magnificat. The Magnificat because she magnified the Lord. She pointed to him that she worshipped and highlighted his great love for her and for his people. And the song continues for another six verses. And so I would encourage you to go home and read this song today if you're Reading along with our Advent reading plan, then you've already read this, but you can go back and and reread it. It's worth the read. I would encourage you to go home and read these incredible lyrics. and, And as you do, think about this question How can we join Mary's Magnificat this season? How can we join in? Yes, we should gather and sing together every week. That's one of my favorite things that we do. And more times than not, when we think about worship, We think about singing, right? We think about Sunday morning. We think about corporately singing the words that are up on the screen. But worship is meant to go beyond our words. Uh, Mary's song was her vocal response before her faithful works. Think about it that way. Her song was her vocal response before her faithful works. And so our worship should be evident in our works as well. Our worship should literally follow us outside the four walls of the church building and into a community that is longing and searching for hope. Our worship doesn't stop here. And so here's some practical ways that our worship can be evident in our good works this Advent season. Number two, if you're taking notes, Advent reminds us to give the gift of hospitality. It reminds us to give the gift of hospitality. And we see this in Elizabeth's story, how she responded to the Advent season. And so after receiving this wonderful news, Mary needed a safe place to go where she could escape the harsh stares, the gossipy whispers of her small village. And making the journey from Nazareth to a town in the hill country of Judea, she found her cousin Elizabeth living with her own miraculous pregnancy. 
uh, much older, and apparently well past the normal age of bearing children, Elizabeth was about to give birth to Israel's first prophet in over 400 years. As her child grew up, he became known as John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for Mary's son, her baby boy, Jesus, our Messiah. And so let's not jump ahead too quickly, though, because in doing so, we may completely miss this incredible bond and connection between Mary and Elizabeth. You see, before either of these little boys were born, uh, two women, decades apart in age, shared their stories of God's incredible faithfulness, his power, and his provision. When nobody else would believe Mary's story, guess who did? Elizabeth. It was in the comfort of Zechariah and Elizabeth's home that Mary found something that she desperately needed. Friendship. Hospitality. And throughout the rest of her life, Mary must have encountered hundreds, if not thousands of people who rejected her story and looked at her with judgment. It was warm and genuine hospitality during the first Advent season that reminded Mary about how she was not alone. Elizabeth provided a safe and loving refuge for her cousin when nobody else would. And so Advent, I believe, reminds us to go forward and do the same. To give others the gift of hospitality. Romans 12, 13 through 16 talks about this. Talks about the importance of hospitality and then gives us a little bit of an explanation or definition of what it is. So Romans 12, verse 13, it says, When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice. And what's the word? Hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. And so this is the explanation for how we do this. And this is not easy, right? Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Uh, Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And this is my favorite part. Don't think that you know it all. (laughs) It's an important part of hospitality and humility. And so, another question for you today, uh, does eagerness describe your approach to hospitality? Are you eager to be hospitable? Are you eager to serve others with hospitality? In a season when our culture promotes selfishness, God calls us to be selfless. Hospitality, I think, in its simplest form is, is opening your home to God's people. It's so important. It's, it's actually listed among the qualifications for elders in the church. That's how important this is. We talk a lot about the qualifications for spiritual leadership in the church. And this is one that has stood out to me time and time again, but I think we often skip over it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. The Apostle Paul, writing to this young pastor, is talking about what worship should look like in the church, what spiritual leadership should look like in the church. And so it does start with those those. Those men who have been called, those leaders, it says now to the overseer, which is another word for pastor and elder, is to be above reproach. Here's the job description. You ready for it? Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable, able to teach. And so, I guess, to ruffle some feathers... 
I would ask our ministry leaders, our deacons, our elders, is your home open to others? And not only is it home, but are you hospitable? Do you welcome people into your home, serving them in the way that God has called us to? Showing hospitality is one of the ways that our worship is evident in our works. And so it's not just for elders, it's not just for deacons, ministry leaders, it's for God's people. We're called to practice hospitality first and foremost because it's a command, but it's also a way to serve God by serving others. It's a way to bless others, and it teaches the younger generation, especially this time of year, about how it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so are there, spe- are there specific people in your life, maybe other than family members and close friends, whom you can invite into your home this season? Is it possible that over 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus, one of the very best ways that we can celebrate Advent is by welcoming and serving others by giving the gift of hospitality? What does this look like in your life this time of year? Who in your circle of influence can you invite to the table? I think if the ancient practice of hospitality showed up all the way back in the Christmas story, it should probably show up in our lives today as well. Amen? I'll get an amen out of most of you by the time we're done. You mean we actually have to do something with this? Yes, we do. Advent reminds us to give the gift of hospitality. Number three, if you're taking notes, I think my favorite one, Advent reminds us to remove our self-centered agendas. Advent reminds us to remove our self-centered agendas. And this truth, I I think we clearly see in the life of Joseph uh, in chapter 1 of Matthew's gospel. And so we're going to move from Luke to Matthew for a moment. Uh, Joseph, the, the the earthly father of Jesus, he really went from model citizen to soap opera star overnight. That is his story. <laughs> his fiance was pregnant, but guess what? The baby wasn't biologically his. What do you do with that? In Joseph's world, uh, this was beyond taboo. And even though he could have exposed Mary publicly by shaming her and divorcing her, he chose not to after hearing from one of God's angels in a dream. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, As he considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus literally means salvation or God's rescue. What God's people had been waiting for for generations was finally happening. God came in person to walk with us as one of us. The angel told Joseph that God was actually saving the world by entering into the very situation he planned to heal. That God is not afraid to get into the messy situations and the messy circumstances of our lives. When we worship Jesus at Christmas and every other day throughout the year, We're reminded that God came for everyone who would believe, regardless of our hurts, our habits, or the hang-ups that we carry with us. The gospel is for everyone, no matter our momentary circumstances. Every person needs a rescuer. 
I think one thing that we need in the American church, one thing that we need rescued from, is our own self-centered agendas. And this is easier said than done. But we look back to Joseph's example. However scared he was, and regardless of what others said, he chose obedience. He chose to be faithful. I've heard it said of Joseph that he was a fool, a holy fool who gave up his reputation and his rights because of a call from God. One of the common fears that people have about changing up the way they do Christmas is having to face what their relatives, friends, and coworkers might say. There's some fear that comes along with that. I've, I've known families who've made some pretty radical changes, radical uh, in the eyes of Americans, I think, some pretty radical changes about how they do Christmas every year. There's a cultural norm that says Christmas is all about self. They don't just put it out there that way. It's subtle. It's filled with half-truths. There's this message that says it's all about self. The gifts that we buy and receive, the agendas that we fill, hardly point other people to a Savior who humbly came into the world not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Honestly, in this day and age, it sounds a little crazy to spend our time around Christmas worshiping God, uh, spending less, giving more, and serving the people around us. The latter are the things that we're going to talk more about in the weeks ahead. Spending less, giving more, serving others. And so Joseph's story reminds us that while God's call is not always easy or convenient, it's not always in line with what we think should happen, I mean, it's always right, and God will always give us the courage to follow if we're willing to obey. And like Joseph, we... When we respond in obedience to God's invitation, despite the social cost, we actually help God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Advent reminds us to remove our self-centered agendas, and that will look differently for each one of us. What, what needs to be taken out of your agenda today so that you can take the focus off of self and put it on God and others? Again, are we supposed to do something with this? Yes. Number four, if you're taking notes, this will be the last point for today. Advent reminds us to tell others about the king. Advent reminds us to tell others about the king. And for this truth, we'll turn our attention to the wise men or the magi in Matthew chapter 2. We could have used um, Zechariah's story. We could have used the story of the shepherds. Again, I think they all point to a response of worship but I think the Magi are often overlooked. Now, they were scholars. They were royal astrologers from Persia and Babylon, uh, east of Judea. And so after noticing a change in the star patterns in the sky, uh, they decided to make the long journey around 900 miles to Jerusalem. And so where they came from, you can think of modern-day Iraq. And we think airplane travel and driving on the roads takes a long time this time of year. <laughs> Can you imagine traveling four to six months to go celebrate Christmas with family? Well, King Herod the Great was ruling at the time, although there was nothing great about him. He had gained power through political marriages, um, carefully cultivated friendships with influential Roman officers. 
Herod ruled his empire with uh, military might, with bribery and violent acts that even extended to members of his own family. And so the Magi must have been men of influence because they were granted what seems like immediate access and an immediate audience with Herod without much convincing. Even though Herod was a ruthless and evil king, all right, this is the guy they're talking to, the Magi had the courage to ask him for directions to where the one true king was born so that they could go and worship him. They went to the top. <laughs> can you imagine? And I think here's where we can find the courage to reach out to others for Jesus this Advent season, even when it's hard. You see, these men who were not even Jewish were willing to risk their lives to answer the call that God had given them. And instead of allowing fear to have the last word, have the courage to tell others about the king. Invite the people in your circle of influence to join us on a Sunday morning as we worship together, to join in as we serve others together, and invite them into your home where you can extend the gift of hospitality. I think our actions, and I'll just preach to myself for a moment, my actions often teach others that fear is a killer of faith. But God tells us a different story. God tells us that faith is what kills fear. First, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So when the Magi finally came to the place where Jesus and his parents were living, they offered him the, these very costly gifts. But that reminds us that worshiping Jesus was not a game for these men. It wasn't a routine. The gifts that they would have given would have nearly cost them their lives. Yet they were willing to go through any storm to get to the king and telling other people about him along the way. Even King Herod, the not-so-great. So all of these examples, when we go through the nativity story, they remind us about what Advent worship is meant to look like. And like Mary, we should sing to our rescuer, but worship does go beyond singing. And my hope is that it would go beyond singing for you this year. And like Elizabeth, we should open our homes and our lives to others. A hospitality is an important mark of a healthy Christian family. Don't miss that. Like Joseph, we should obey God's call, regardless of the cost. And so let's remove the self-centered agendas that tend to get in the way. Get rid of the things that make it so hard to hear from God. The things that hold us captive during the holidays. And like the wise men, we should confront anything that stands in the way of our worship. From worldly empires to our own fears. Let's have the courage to tell others about the King this Christmas.